I'm Luke Kennedy with the McCain Institute, and you're in the arena with leaders and citizens who are taking character-based action. I had a chance to sit down with Ambassador Ed O'Donnell. He shared insights on tackling some of the thorniest problems around in his long career as an American diplomat, plus what he's up to these days as an educator at the McCain Institute. I'm in the arena with Ambassador Ed O'Donnell, and uh, Ed, it's, it's a real pleasure to, to have you in our first uh, episode of the, of the new year. Thank you. Appreciate the invitation. Um, yesterday, I think a lot of folks are catching up to it, and if they haven't already, uh, Colin Powell uh, was in the news, you know, former Secretary of State, as you know, and Chairman of the Joint Chiefs, and the story was him on the way to, to Walter Reed and a, and a veteran helping him out, but it was more of a larger uh, comment that people are connected to. How he said we need to stop shouting at each other and we need to look after each other. Uh, you, you've worked with uh, Colin Powell uh, and uh, you cut your teeth in Panama uh, in many respects. Maybe that's not the right way to put it. You have a 40 you know, plus long career all over the place uh, in diplomacy, but uh, maybe connect some dots uh, for us there about uh, Colin Powell and and, and Panama in your career. Okay. Well, Colin Powell is one of my examples of a character-driven leader in terms of both his military leadership as chairman, joint chiefs of staff, distinguished army career, but also as secretary of state. And certainly in 1989, uh, chairman uh, Colin Powell played a role in the decision by President Bush, George H. Bush, 41, uh, as president to go into Panama and take out Noriega. The U.S. policy had been to try to put pressure on Noriega. I was the economic counselor in the U.S. Embassy in Panama, had been managing economic sanctions, a tool of diplomacy to try to get Noriega to allow democracy to come into Panama. There had been an election in May of 89 uh, where there was a democratically elected government, uh, but he didn't let them take power. By the way, Senator John McCain came to that election as an election observer. Again, Is that right? another character-driven leader and went out in the polling areas to observe, make sure, hopefully, that the election ballot boxes wouldn't be stuffed. But unfortunately, Noriega did that, stole the election. A few months later, Noriega said a state of war exists against the United States because of economic sanctions. And also, some of his Panamanian Defense Force people uh, really killed a, an American lieutenant. A you were right officer. in the middle of all this, right? And I was there on the ground and and through that 1989 period as this was playing out in Panama, and so finally it came to a crescendo in in December 19, in 1989, and President Bush uh, said that uh, American lives are at risk, and he made the decision to go in militarily to remove Noriega and bring democracy to that country. That, to me, was a character-driven leader decision by him that was not easy. It was criticized by the international legal community, a violation of Panamanian sovereignty, and so on. But the assessment was, in terms of U.S. interest, protecting American lives, the fact that Noriega was a drug trafficker, money launderer, human rights violator, and I think it was the right decision. So I can imagine a listener out there saying, you know, this is interesting, but it's history. Well, I, I see it more as an example of being in the arena. But when you look at Panama then and then a place like Venezuela uh, today, um, you know, is this history or is this just kind of a little bit of how you need to be looking at these things? 
Well, there, there are tough uh, challenges in diplomacy, and today the current challenge is what's happening in Venezuela, where there's a, a, essentially a, a, the old type of Latin American dictator, and what the U.S. policy and U.S. people want is democracy and that the people of Venezuela can be represented and live in peace and, and freedom and, and a democracy. We have tools of diplomacy, and that's what we're using we have military tools. We have to be any president has to be very careful about using that decision. And I did have the opportunity to meet with President George Bush 41 a few years later uh, privately with Brent Scowcroft. And he was still uh, he, he knew that that decision to go into Panama cost American lives and Panamanian lives. But he, I think he also knew and, and certainly I believe it was the right decision because it brought democracy and freedom and now we have a young democracy in Panama that's successful change of government hopefully in a few years we'll be at a point where in Venezuela there'll be a return to democracy and and freedom and and human rights but right now it's 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 a tough situation for the administration and we're I'm sure they'll deal with it. You've just one example of where you've skillfully uh, used the tools of diplomacy and character-driven leadership. And I want to circle back to uh, uh, a few more of those shortly. But I want to bring uh, you know folks right up current to what you're doing now. You do a lot of things to be sure, but where I know your work most is running the policy design studio for Arizona State and for the McCain Institute. Can you tell us a little bit about what it means to run a policy design studio and what you're trying to do with that? The course I teach and have taught now for four years is for Arizona State University students, juniors and seniors, and these are honor students. I have a group now of 11 students who are really top young people and future leaders of our country. What I want to do is explain to them what it's like to work in a U.S. embassy overseas. So we have a virtual reality exercise, which is unique, I think, in the academic setting. It's not about me lecturing as a professor. It's about them understanding what it's like to be in an embassy country team. And this semester, it's about Germany. We've also set this in other countries. But these students learn about U.S.-German relations, foreign policy, grassroots diplomacy, how we do that. I'm the ambassador, and they have roles in the embassy country team, and they learn what it's like to be a foreign service officer confronted with all the the issues uh, today in the U.S.-German relationship. Uh, and and so I'd, I'd also focus on character-driven leaders who've made decisions uh, important, certainly in terms of U.S.-German relationship. A character-driven le- uh, driven leader uh, is President Bush 41, who made the decision in his presidency that we needed to, at the fall of the Soviet Union, and that we needed to reunify Germany. And that was the right decision, to reunify Germany, reunify Europe. So it's about character-driven leadership, it's about foreign policy, and hopefully those young people in their future careers will 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 know more about diplomacy and character-driven leadership. I mean, I'm familiar with the, the power of things like the model United Nations, where you, you know, and practicing something, uh, uh, but this is a, a whole semester, a whole uh, program where, where people get to essentially be like the practitioner and the embassy team. I sat in on a briefing, uh, a final briefing uh, last semester, I suppose it was, I believe it was, well, I know what it was, it was Afghanistan, and these uh, students briefing out to, you know, 
a deputy uh, had a mission from the Afghanistan embassy and to the desk officer at the State Department from Afghanistan. And I, to me, it seemed like they, they, they did pretty well. They had learned a lot and, and they, they had some policy prescriptions that drew attention. The, that's, and I, I agree. These, these students, after about four months, the learning curve is straight up. They learn about diplomacy. And at the end of that process, their challenges come up with uh, a proposal, full-up proposal, of how we improve relations and, U- and promote U.S. interests in that country. And at the end, you heard their proposals for how to improve the relationship with Afghanistan, bring peace and security. And they had some creative ideas. And they, they, I challenge them to not be limited to what the State Department's currently doing, but to think outside the box. And they usually come up with some pretty good new creative ideas. So you, you said thinking outside the box, jumping back into your career. You were, I don't know if in charge of is exactly the right word, but heavily involved with counter-narcotics, working out of Kabul and Afghanistan. Well, that sure sounds like an in-the-arena problem. Um, did, were you able to think and work outside the box on that? I guess a lot of players and partners, we haven't solved uh, countering narcotics in Afghanistan, I don't think. But tell us a little bit about that. From 2011 to 2014, I was uh, the senior advisor mentor to the Afghan Minister of Counter-Narcotics. There is a separate ministry in the Afghan government still today that fights the, the scourge of, of production of uh, opium poppy that just becomes heroin and is exported to Europe and Russia and many countries around the world. And so the U.S. interest is to help Afghanistan stop the cultivation, minimize it, or, or do away with it if we can, stop the trafficking, and also deal with the opi- the problem of heroin a- or opium addicts in Afghanistan. There's over a million Afghan people that are that are addicts to the, uh, the opium that's grown there in Afghanistan. So it's a social uh, huge problem for families and for communities. U.S. interest is to bring peace and stability to Afghanistan, and not only is that opium cultivation destabilizing in terms of the society, it also helps fund the Taliban. Over $400 million a year from the opium trade goes to the Taliban as sort of a tax, so a lot of reasons we're against it. I think it's one of these problems that we have to continue to be supportive of what Afghanistan as a government wants to do. And and so uh, I think we have had some success with reducing cultivation and convincing farmers to go to other crops that are illicit where they can feed their families. And also some uh, treatment facilities around the country that have been helpful, the opium uh, addicts in Afghanistan and the trafficking problem, but it's a continual issue that we need to, just like the trafficking in, in narcotics that comes from Latin America into the United States, it's, it's something we have to keep focused on as a priority for U.S. interests to, to see what we can do to help countries stop that trade. So uh, pretty big uh, gear change, but I think it's the, the indicative of, of, of how someone with uh, uh, your career and talent uh, gets uh, employed. So you were doing that, and maybe it didn't happen straight after. You can help me on the timing, but you found yourself in Germany or Europe 
working uh, on restitution, which does seem like a pretty big gear change. Fill us in on how that worked. Well, my foreign service career was spent in, in large part in Europe. I speak fluent German and served in Germany and in, in my career. And uh, I had worked earlier with issues the German government is, is, was addressing of helping the, the survivors of the, the, the uh, persecution in the concentration camps the, the holo- during the Holocaust and also the victims, the families of the victims. There are a lot of unaddressed issues. And so it started uh, really early on in the 60s when Germany realized they had a responsibility to Holocaust survivors. And, and I, I worked earlier years than that. But from 2003 to 2006, I was the special envoy ambassador for Holocaust issues, the remaining unaddressed issues. Uh, this actually started in a big way in the Clinton administration, and I worked for uh, the senior person under Secretary Stu Eisenstadt, who negotiated a lot of agreements with countries other than Germany that had issues like private property that had never been restituted in Poland, uh, houses and Jewish community centers that were taken by the Nazis, they were communized by the communist government, they were socialized and then never returned to the Jewish community or the Jewish people. Uh, and so in, in 2003 to 2006, it was about helping the survivors, those who survived the, the horror of the Holocaust in Auschwitz, uh, with their health needs, with their financial needs. A lot of them still had had property that had never been restituted, not only in Germany and Poland, but in Romania and Serbia. Uh, and it was about the future. It was about training young people in schools in Europe and the United States what happens with bigotry, hatred. Mm. Well, I formed a Holocaust task force and chaired it of 24 countries, and we tried to put into the school curriculum uh, training for young people that's really the not about history. It's the lessons of the Holocaust and today what happens in Darfur, Sudan, or or places or Rwanda or places around the world where there's discrimination against groups, either religious minorities or social minorities. It is still happening today, unfortunately, the the potential for genocide, the Rohingya people that are being pushed out of Burma into Bangladesh. So it's also about the future, not only about the past. I you know, very we could go on and on and heck maybe we'll just have a whole separate episode to do that to uh to talk about you know the the global leadership and the issues that you've been involved with in a very tangible, action uh, oriented way, but uh, but I'm going to potentially put you on the spot here a little bit because I detect this this uh, this this theme and trend of education and and forward looking and and future. And I know it's sitting on the provost's uh, desk in uh, in Tempe, at Arizona State, but uh, but you have an idea to bring a new master's degree program uh, to the nation's uh, capital. So what can you tell us about that? I know it's you know presumptive a little bit, but 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 you have the idea, and it looks like it's taken hold. Tell us about it. Well, we're working on planning a master of arts in international affairs and leadership, and this would be different and unique. Uh, from other master's programs in global or international studies here in Washington. It would be about uh, international leadership and a practical basis. We would have myself and other uh, professors of practice, people who have performed dem- uh, diplomatic functions overseas and actually uh, had the experience of grassroots diplomacy. And we will be training young people about what it's like to be diplomats or, or, or work in the 
private sector or uh, in a professional setting in the future of what uh, international relations, the global environment, the, and, and what, where are the U.S. interests in terms of economics policy. But, so it's forward-looking, but it's also about character-driven leadership. So we want to uh, also train master's pro candidates for in this program to in their own generation to be character-driven leaders along the model of Senator John McCain and what he did. You mentioned Secretary Colin Powell, another character-driven leader. I would add President George Bush 41, another character-driven leader. Uh, John F. Kennedy. Uh, there's a there's a number of in our history we can be proud of, as Americans of of presidents, secretaries of state who were character-driven leaders. We want to project that forward and and help these young people develop in their own careers in the future, so they become character-driven leaders. So we're sitting in this uh, you know beautiful uh, Arizona State University uh, building just a couple of blocks from the White House at Farragut West. So I I guess. This master's degree program happens here. Is it a is it a night school? I mean, how who you you know how do you see folks uh, taking and catching up to it? Well, we would we would draw from the the people here in Washington D.C. the the master's program and classes would be taught here. There would be some online classes possibly, but basically we would be looking for uh, young people who want to become leaders in international affairs in either in government or private sector or, in, or NGOs who we could help. The, the Washington experience is unique, and so we want to give that to them and, and, and draw on the expertise at the McCain Institute uh, that we have here in the areas of uh, fighting against terrorism or combating human trafficking or human rights. We have some experts here who will teach courses. We have experts in the huge... Uh, Arizona State University, uh, the largest public uh, university in the United States. And so it would be a degree from Arizona State University, again, if approved. And we're in that process now of getting approval. But with Arizona State University and all the assets and, and uh, academic excellence that they have to bring to the table and innovation and creativity and, and the McCain Institute and everyone here who's, who have, are really practicing practitioners of diplomacy like Nick Rasmussen on counter uh, counterterrorism and right. General Ben Freakley, who's a character-driven leader, uh, three-star army general who knows all about leadership from his time in Afghanistan, people like that. These would be the professors, and we would draw on, the, on, on experts here in town we know to come in and teach uh, part of the classes or lecture the classes uh, from U.S. government, from NGOs, people who I know and others of us who, who have been ma making the key decisions at top senior levels so the young people can meet them. Well, it sounds it sounds very interesting, and I get there's a bit of a stay-tuned aspect to it, but one more question on it. You, you mentioned, you know, unique D.C. experience. Does that come with a unique D.C. Uh, price tag or, you know, uh, you know? Well, yeah, I, I think we're going to be able to come in at a very reasonable level and very high quality education and master's degree at, at, a, at a very reasonable price. I think that, that that's one thing we're working on now to make sure it's affordable for young people uh, that, that want to be prepared for the future and, and be prepared for the workplace and international global affairs. 
educator, diplomat, uh, much more. Uh, we've appreciated you coming on the show. Uh, our standing last question is advice, typically aimed at, at, at young people that want to be, uh, you know, follow kind of in your footsteps or, or character-driven leaders' uh, footsteps. What what advice would you would you have for, for them? Well, my advice would start with global affairs and international and the career foreign service to look, take the long-term view in preparing for uh, your career. And if you are interested in government representing your country, the career foreign service is a great option. And the average entry age of the foreign service is now 30 years old. So there are a lot of people that come in with prior experience. So uh, a master's degree, certainly academic education, experience overseas, maybe two years in the Peace Corps, maybe teaching English as a second language in China, certainly travel. If you're interested in global and international affairs, uh, there are a lot of things that you can do to prepare for your your career. And there there are a lot of great careers outside of government and the NGOs that if you have a passion for a particular issue like uh, helping fight against human trafficking or counterterrorism or counter narcotics or or the rule of law um, certainly they're they're excellent uh, organizations here in town where their career opportunities so government private sector as well and in promoting US exports and services overseas so whatever you do make sure it's a passion and then start building your career step by step towards it and that there are opportunities out there and, and take the long-term view see where you want to be in five to ten years and then start preparing for it step by step ambassador ed o'donnell thank you for being thank you for being in the arena and uh, we hope you'll let us invite you back after you have the next few challenges you face under your belt and this uh, master's degree program up and running okay thank you for the invitation enjoyed it this podcast is produced by patrick mccann and justin kessler If you like what you hear, please subscribe, tell your friends, or leave a review.